we're in the third week of 2020. You're a patron, and I'm Father Roderick. Hello, and welcome to a brand new version of this show. And uh, as you know, this is for your ears only. I'm recording this show on a weekly basis for my patrons as a thank you for your ongoing support. And this year, the show is going to be much bigger, much better, and more personal. I've decided to uh, dedicate a little bit more time and uh, preparation to bringing you something that is worth your time, uh, also based on some of your feedback, and hope you enjoy it. Let me know in the comments, either on social media or uh, on the Patreon website as well. But I really hope that this is much more a real show instead of just an afterthought. I'm not sure what I'm going to call this show yet, but uh, we'll figure that out as we as we go. What is the purpose of this, um, let's say, more full-fledged podcast show? Well, I've decided to bring more focus to the, uh, let's say, the public show that I produce, so to spend more time preparing it. And instead of... Uh, um, streaming the show live like I used to do, um, which never really was a very satisfying experience um, because, well, it's just, you're just watching someone uh, who is sitting behind a microphone. It was visually unappealing. And uh, also the way I prepared the shows was, well, I'm just, you know, winging it. I didn't prepare much. I kind of talked uh, uh, whatever came to, to my mind. And uh, I think it helps me to bring better content if I spend a little bit more time preparing the stuff that I talk about. And when it comes to streaming, instead of streaming the entire show on Facebook or on YouTube, I've decided to just record a few of the segments that are part of the podcast as a video, kind of isolate that. I do a nice backdrop. I've reinstalled the green screen and added some extra lights. Uh, so it's a much more... Um, more professional setup and um and another thing that i've added to the mix is a small uh, auto cue or teleprompter so that's a, a like a one-way mirror so the the camera is behind the mirror the mirror is slanted so it can reflect whatever is on my old iphone 6 that i'm using as a device to uh, project text so i can look at the camera and i well i don't script my stuff that it's really not my thing to uh to just have a story that, uh, <laughs> that flows up in front of my eyes and i just read it because it, it takes away the spontaneity but what i do is i i uh put my bullet points about a certain topic on the screen in front of me so that i can talk and stay on topic and not you know go in all directions and just blab on and on and on because that doesn't really benefit the the message and so this this first week of the new year is an experiment to see if that if that works and then what i do is i i still record the podcast as is um but i leave out the segments that i've already pre-recorded as a video and i'm using the same microphone this exactly the same audio setup for those videos as i do for the podcast and so then i edit those segments in and the segments are also the usual elements of, uh, or the usual ingredients, you could say, of, the, of my regular podcast. So it will be something about movies, it may be something about technology, sometimes about faith, uh, you know, science fiction stuff. It depends from week to week. I'm just looking at, well, what would be the best content to also share with a YouTube audience? And then there are also always elements that are, you know, not that interesting for YouTube, but could work really well in a podcast. 
So that's how this first show of the new year came about. And then I'm, I was thinking, well, but what do I do with all the, the topics and the contents and things going on in my personal life that are just um, not fitting for, for video? Well, I'm going to rearrange those topics and, and put these together in a much more personal show where I can also take my time to talk about these things and share content that would not maybe attract that much of an audience uh, in, in the world of podcasting or on YouTube. But for those of you that have, have been following me on a more personal level, um, can be more relevant. And, and, and hopefully by kind of separating these things and uh, splicing them out, this particular show that you're currently listening to is can be also more more personal and thereby, I think, better. Um, but of course, the proof is in the pudding. I'm, I'm just this is an experiment. I'm starting this, but uh, but I, I I think this this will work well. That's also why I'm I'm adding some more uh, some you know some some audio, some background uh, jingles, just to make it feel a little bit more like like a real show, something that you can listen to in the car or while you're folding the laundry or I don't know, just walking around or running. So that's why you hear this uh, song in the background. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the things that I couldn't really do in the regular show was to give you some of my first impressions, some reviews of the books that I've read. Um, this week I've been sharing some tips uh, uh, on how you can read more this year. And I've been already reading six or seven books this, this, these past three weeks. It's not even three weeks. And so I'm super excited that all these new techniques that I've discovered to read more uh, are working. But, you know, I didn't want to just do all the, put all these reviews in uh, the main podcast. So I want to talk about some of the books that I've read and uh, that may be of interest to you too. I want to start with a book written by Anthony Daniels, the actor, of course, who plays C-3PO. He wrote an autobiography and I listened to the audiobook version of that and it blew me away. It's not actually not really an autobiography. It is more a collection of Star Wars memories. He doesn't talk much about his personal life, but he does give you a treasure thro trove of of anecdotes, and and uh, he describes his feelings while he was involved in the filming of all the nine Star Wars movies, including the last one. And that surprised me because the book came out before the premiere of The Rise of Skywalker. But he does give you a whole lot of details about his uh, his work on that last movie. And I, at first, when I saw that he'd written the book, I thought, well, maybe most of the stories are not that interesting to me because I've heard him speak many times and I've uh, seen interviews, I've listened to a lot of, uh, of his stories before. But to my great relief and surprise, uh, most of the book was completely new to me. Or he expanded upon things that he just mentioned normally in his talks, uh, but now we get the real story, the full story. And it is riveting because every time it is about uh, moments in his life that we also shared with him by watching the movies, by following the process of the, the production of these movies. And so uh, it is a, a very visual book, strangely enough, when he describes the moments uh, on set. 
you immediately have this picture in your mind because you know exactly what he's talking about. And that is, uh, I think only an actor can do something like that. Someone who is involved in the process can conjure up those images. And it makes, uh, therefore, uh, for a very, very, uh, inv you know, inspiring, uh, involving, immersive read. That was the word that I was looking for. It's, it's very immersive because you constantly listen to his story on the backdrop of his uh uh, of, of the movies that you know. It's also uh, sometimes a bit of a sad story because uh, he's struggled a lot with him being considered to be kind of like a second-class actor in the Star Wars saga, even though his contribution is absolutely vital to what makes Star Wars Star Wars, but that was not recognized by uh, the people that surrounded him. And it's only in this last movie, I think, uh, that they gave him the role that he deserved yeah, there's a preface to this book by J.J. Abrams, and you can tell that Abrams, I think more than anyone before him, understands Anthony Daniels, understands his contribution to the saga, and gave him the role that he deserved and longed for. And so it's not only a fitting conclusion to the, to the Skywalker saga in general, but also a, a beautiful conclusion, I think, to the career of Anthony Daniels as a Star Wars actor uh, playing C-3PO. Highly recommend it. There is so much more that I would like to share, but it, I would be spoiling the book, so uh, I'll let I'll leave that to you. The second book that I've read is um, this the the second book also in the series of the Wheel of Time. This is a massive saga that was written by mostly written by Robert Jordan until he died, and then uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, well, this other writer took over and wrote the final two or three books. Um, it's a it's a fantasy saga, the Wheel of Time. Uh, it's about a world where um, there is kind of a destiny, some strange force, the Wheel of Time. They don't explain it in the first two books what that really is, but uh, it, it weaves the story, uh, the history basically, and weaves people in and out. But there is also a threat to this to this overarching. Um, Wheel of Time, and that is a, a very evil nemesis, kind of a, like an eternal evil, is constantly trying to break the Wheel of Time and write a, a totally different story that is unbalanced and that is evil. And the heroes in the story have to um, deal with that, have to combat the evil. And uh, it, it, the first book felt very much like a, uh, almost a variation on the themes in Tolkien's um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings, of course, also has this, this idea of a story that has been written centuries ago, and the story of Bilbo and Frodo is just a very small part of that overarching story. And then there's this villain that that spans centuries you know sauron and and uh, this this evil deity that that uh, created him and um so there's this this huge mythological tapestry and then in on the canvas of that there is this fantasy story with very engaging characters well um the second book is called the great hunt 600 pages 600 plus <laughs> but uh I've learned from the first book that there is also a lot of stuff in there that the book could have been half the size. I truly believe that. These books are, um, I think they, they, what, what Robert Jordan does very well is to create a, a place that you can dwell in. 
And so it feels sometimes that, oh man, come on, hurry up with the story, all right? He spends a lot of time describing travels, situations, cities, uh, characters that are not re- that important for the overall story. And at first I was like, mm, I was a bit impatient. So why this this should have been trimmed? It's, it's not necessary. But then I realized at one point that I'm I'm looking at the book as if this was a Star Wars movie, for instance. I mean, look at The Rise of Skywalker, how much that was condensed and how fast, especially the first part of the movie went uh, because they, they left out all the information that you don't really need to understand what's going on. But in the Wheel of Time series, Robert Jordan just takes his time to immerse you in the story. And even though things happen that are not that relevant, it's still part of this world. It's almost as if the first book of The Lord of the Rings was all about Bill uh, Frodo's life in the Shire. And it would just take place in the Shire. And then, but in the second book, that's when Gandalf would come along. You know what? I don't think I would mind if Tolkien had written the saga like that. If, if The Lord of the Rings had been 12 books, 600 pages each, and it would allow me to live in Middle-earth longer, then by all means, yes, I would go for it. I would love it. And that is, I think, what makes the Wheel of Time series uh, very special books and, and nice books. However, I also really want to get through that story, and I don't have the luxury to spend you know, 12 years reading this entire saga. And I know that several people have taken several years to read the entire story. I've, I've really found a way to... Um, work my way through these 12 or 13 books, I don't know how many there are, um, this year. And I want to end that this year. Because next year, there's actually going to be a TV series based on The Wheel of Time. And it's uh, another Amazon series. So not, not only are they working on the Lord of the Rings TV show. Uh, by the way, did you see the news that they have uh, chosen their main actors? That's fascinating. There are a number of uh, well-known actors and also a lot of actors that nobody really knows. Uh, but we know their faces now. For three of them, we know the, the the characters that they will be playing. And they are about to start shooting in New Zealand. And I'm so excited about that. I, I, I'm so glad that they returned to New Zealand because I, you know, part of my heart is still there and will always stay there. I'm, I'm currently, this is kind of an aside, but I've, I've been working on the, on the material that I shot while I was in New Zealand, and I've decided to turn that into a documentary in the footsteps of, uh, of Bilbo and Frodo, because that's literally what I did. I traveled over uh, the northern and the southern island in the footsteps of, these, of the travel companions of Bilbo and Frodo, trying to figure out where the story was told, um, and what I'm going to add to the documentary is my personal thoughts about the story itself. And so I, I, I was looking for a title. So you may have already checked out the new YouTube channel that I've made uh, for those, those documentaries. I didn't want to put them on the main YouTube channel, Father Roderick, because that's, I have a different audience there. The audi- most of the people that follow me there, it's about 26,000 right now, are following me because of Star Wars, because of my reactions to trailers for movies, etc., and I've noticed that if I posted vlogs there or uh, even the Star Wars documentary I posted there, but it just didn't work for that audience. Not as, I mean, people did watch it, but only a fraction of the people that are engaged when I post a, something about Star Wars or whatever. So I've decided to uh, create a new YouTube channel j- just for the vlogs and, and the stories that I tell in the documentaries. And I called it Stories, Father Roderick Stories. 
So I've posted a teaser just as a, I just wanted to have something on that, on that channel. And I, I uh, took the footage that I shot in Matamata. That's where the set for um, Hobbiton was built. And it's still there. So I visited that, that, that place um, and uh, shot some footage. Unfortunately, didn't have a very good camera at the time. And it was raining. The weather was pretty bad. So it's not as nice as it could have been. Gives me a reason to return there one day. But it's, it's, it's still... Uh, helping to put together like a teaser trailer or a teaser of a teaser trailer because it's only nice images and a bit of music and then the title. And so the title of the documentary, at least the one that I currently came up with, maybe that will change in the future, it is uh, A Merrier World. And this comes from a quote by Tolkien. Or actually, it's a quote, I think, by Bilbo Baggins in uh, The Hobbit where he says, you know, if people would uh, value things like laughter and dancing and, and eating more than gold and power, then this the world would be a merrier place or a merrier world or something like that. And I thought, you know, that could be almost a conclusion of, of the journey through, through Middle Earth. Um, reflect on that, because that's also, I think, a very Christian message. So that's why... Uh, I, I, I want to make that documentary to tell a story that will take you to all these places where uh, the movies were filmed and where also uh, this, this TV series is being uh, produced, but to tell my personal story uh, in conjunction with that. Uh, it's a challenge because I'm also going to make that for Dutch TV. And as has been the case with, pre with previous efforts to bring some of that international footage to the, my Dutch viewers... Um, a lot of the stuff that I say on camera is in English and not in Dutch. And I'm currently at the point that I'm thinking I'm just going to integrate that in the documentary as is, in English. And I will just tell my viewers, hey, I was also recording a vlog and that's why I'm sometimes talking in English because I'm talking to my internet audience. People know that I'm an internet priest. So I've been trying to please i think my <laughs> the the powers uh of the dutch television company that i work for uh, too much and i've learned from my ireland documentaries that you need that content you need that on-camera presence and i could barely use five percent of of the moments where i talked to the camera because of i didn't want to have any english in those episodes and now i'm thinking well you know what hey it's me too so why would that be a problem? We can, also, we can always add subtitles. And as long as I explain why I sometimes speak English to the camera, and maybe I will create a little, you know, graphical something that they can see, well, oh, I'm currently watching the vlog. I think I'll be fine. And that will also simplify the process of editing and adapting this for both the Dutch audience and an international audience. It will help me so much. Wow, that was a long story to tell you that I was excited that the Wheel of Time is now also, you know, that they go back to to uh, New Zealand. Um, uh, another book that I finished uh, reading was uh, one of the biographies by Carrie Fisher, the late Carrie Fisher, and this one is called Wishful Drinking. It showed up in the audiobook section of the app that I'm using, and I was like, oh, well, you know what? I've heard a lot about it, and... Uh, since I have this subscription to this audiobook service, I might as well listen to it. 
And it, it was interesting. It was very much Carrie Fisher. She reads it herself. And it has an upside and it has a downside. The upside is it is brutally honest. It is very funny because Carrie Fisher is is a very fu funny woman. Um, the downside is it's also very crass. Uh, the language is crass. The things that she mentions. I mean, there is, a, of course, it's laudable that someone is totally honest, but I don't need to know everything of her life, especially not about her private life. So she, she describes also her struggles with depression, bipolar uh, um, uh, affliction that she has, uh, her addiction to uh, alcohol and drugs, um, and her various romantic uh, uh, adventures. And I, I think that her, her, what people laud is her honesty, but I feel that it, there are things that are, that you don't share with everyone. It, it feels a little bit too much. I felt almost like a voyeur. I was like, well, these are things that you discuss in private with your, your close friends, or in my case, you would talk about that with your, your spiritual uh, guide or, or a priest or something like that, or in a confessional even. But I wouldn't record, I wouldn't write it down, I wouldn't put it in an audio book. It, it, there, there is um, there's a, I would say, uh, a virtue of prudence that is positive. It's 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 just like like in movies. Uh, you may have heard my this this week's show where I talk about The Witcher, and one of my issues that I have with The Witcher on Netflix is that it it wants to show everything, a lot of nudity, a lot of very violent, you know, gory scenes. Whereas if you want to tell a story, you don't need to show it for the reader or the viewer to understand it. And sometimes it's even better not to show it. It will make the story stronger. That's kind of the... I had a feeling of unease at various point, points in this book. And it's like, hmm, I'm not sure if I want to know this, Carrie. This, this, is, um, this is not the place or the time to share that. Then again, I'm not Carrie Fisher. Another book that I think finds much more balance on this level and is very personal, sometimes very shocking, but in a good way, in a, in a very involving way, uh, but also at times is, is very careful not to overwhelm the reader with uh, you know, too many personal details, is Becoming Superman, written by Joe Straczynski, um, the uh, writer and, and uh, creator of Babylon 5, of a lot of Superman books, uh, he's been very involved in the in the superhero, uh, in the world of superheroes. Wrote, I think, both for Marvel and for DC. Um, and uh, I've been a great admirer of of Straczynski's work for for as long as I know him. And this in this book, he writes about his own life, which is a very compelling story. He has had a terrible childhood an extremely abusive father and a father who kept a lot of secrets from his family secrets that only were were unveiled after his death but joe straczynski tells it as a as one riveting story and the book is called becoming superman it has a lot to do with superman and the values that superman stands for um, but he he applies that to his life, and even Superman himself became almost a role model for him that helped him survive the ordeals in his childhood and in his younger years. And uh, he also 
talks at length about you know his 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 work as a writer, um, as a uh, someone who's involved in television, and also I think gives you very good. Uh, idea of what that world is like and and also how difficult it is to survive there as a writer um so as an insight into the world of writing and 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 tv production it's a fascinating book but what touched me most is the um, anyone else in this situation with that kind of abuse in his childhood could have become horrible himself could have you know, followed the father in the footsteps by becoming evil and damaged and and lashing out out of hurt himself. And and Joe did the opposite. For him, the his father became like a like a negative role model in the sense that he tried to become everything that his his father was not. And that is, I think, why Superman and what he stands for, at least in the traditional comics and stories, um appeal to him so much because Superman showed him almost uh, what saints do in the Catholic Church, right? This is also, you could become this person instead of becoming another version of your father. And the way he describes it, wow. Uh, Another thing that always has intrigued me about Joe Straczynski is um, how much he talks about religion and how... um, how good he writes about religion, even though I knew that he was agnostic and perhaps even an atheist. But the way he treats religion in his movies, in his stories, is always respectful, realistic, and very, very deep. And it turns out that he's been in Catholic schools for most most of his childhood. However, it was a terrible time, and the nuns were abusive as well. Um, he has witnessed all the hypocrisy of, of, of the Catholics that surrounded him. And so, again, there, were, would it, there could have been so many reasons for him to be, you know, one of those militant atheists that hate everything about the Catholic Church and about Christianity in general. And uh, a bit like uh, Philip Pullman, who in, in his books is almost taking revenge on everything that the church did to him. And it's it's vitriolic. Whereas Joe, here too, has chosen the highway, the, the way of respect. Yes, oh, he will never be a Catholic, according to him. And, and he has seen what hypocrisy, how much that can destroy what, what a faith can stand for. But then when he talks and when he depicts faith, it's always from this perspective of, Shouldn't faith be about compassion? Shouldn't it be about high moral values? And and at the same time, and that that is what makes his writings, his stories about faith so believable, is that he also integrates the failures of those that call themselves believers. And and wow, it's an unbelievable book. It is, I think, the best biography, the best autobiography that I've ever read, and definitely a book that I want to reread after a while. Um, there's a lot about um, a lot to think about, a lot to learn from, and it made me want to meet Joe Straczynski, which will I don't think ever happen. But I was thoroughly impressed by um, I am impressed by who he is and who he has chosen to be. Highly recommended. Becoming Superman by Joe Straczynski. 
Then I read something, and also an autobiography, that was much less appealing and a bit of a disappointment. It was Yes, Please by Amy Puller, Puller uh, who, of course, is uh, the main character or plays the main character in Parks and Recreations, an incredibly funny show, very much in the vein of The Office. Uh, on some level, levels, I like it even more. And uh, Amy is funny and, and, and it's, uh, I mean, you re- it's an easy read. Um, it, it works really well when she's talking about stuff that you know, like, uh, well, Parks and Recreations and how that came, came about. Um, she also talks at length about her role in Saturday Night Live. That is less interesting to me because I don't know that. Sh- we, we don't watch that show in the Netherlands. But I, I guess that for an American audience, that would be also a very interesting. But then when she talks about her own life, mm, not so inspiring, not so interesting. So, yeah. A bit, uh, bit of a letdown. I expected something uh, funnier and I don't know, more inspiring. Um, but it wasn't that much. Well, anyway, and then I've, uh, I'm in the middle of, or in the middle, I'm almost done with a, a trilogy, a young adult trilogy, a young adult novel trilogy, written by Mary Lou. Um, the reason that I am speeding my way through those books is that uh, uh, the service that I'm subscribed to for audiobooks. Um, is is canceling their contract with uh, Penguin Books and <laughs> all these cool books like most of the Star Wars novels are from Penguin at least from the publisher Penguin publisher in here in in Europe and so I got a warning that those books are going to expire actually tomorrow the seventeenth is that tomorrow what day is it today I'm recording this on the sixteenth so yes so I only have one more day to finish that trilogy um, the 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 first book is called Legend. The sequel is Prodigy. I'm almost done with that. And so I have a couple of hours left to read the final book in the series. And it's very entertaining. It's well-written, very similar to um, to The Hunger Games. But for me, that's a, that's a, an advantage because I like the, the Hunger Games. But you can tell that it's a young adult novel because it's all about, you know, these teenage boys and girls and their first kiss. And uh, so the perspective in the book is sometimes a little bit, uh, yeah, teenage life. <laughs> <laughs> but but still, you know, it's it's good storytelling, uh, reasonably good world building. And it's a, it's, a, it's a story also about values, about, um, you know, not... Uh, what I like about this, the way the book is, sto- is told, it, it, every chapter is from either the perspective of the, of the female protagonist and the next chapter is going to be from the perspective of the male protagonist. And that is something I've not seen in many books and it works surprisingly well. It also, but this shift of perspective is also something that is part of the story itself. Um, it, 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 the story challenges you to sometimes shift perspective. The people that you thought were evil actually turn out to be different and have their own motivations and you start to understand them and you start to empathize with them. That is, I think, um, a, a good meta message of the of these books. It's you know, don't stop at the surface. But always are, be willing to change your perspective if you learn uh, more about the situation or if you get to know the people uh, better. Um, so, that, yeah, that was my long list of books that I've already finished in 2020. We're in the third week, and I've already read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and, well, tonight, if I, if I can make it until midnight, uh, eight books in three weeks. Unbelievable. If you know how I do that, check out the main show because I give you some tips. Um, well, with that, gosh, 
um, there's some more that I can share with you. And that has to do with YouTube. Uh, as I explained, uh, let me just put some music in the background again just to mark the change to a different part of, of this show. Um, that's a great. The Roadcaster now allows me to have several sets of jingles. So these are the jingles for this show, and then I can switch back to a whole other set for, uh, for the main podcast. Um, I spent part of my winter break studying YouTube and studying... Uh, especially the the inner workings of the um, of the algorithm of YouTube. So it's that all, of course, all has to do with SEO, search engine optimization. Because what people watch on YouTube is only partially uh, determined by what they're looking for or which channels they are subscribed to, but most of what they get to see or what YouTube proposes to them is based on keywords and on the contents of what you make. Well, I've decided that YouTube is going to be very important for my uh, future endeavors. Uh, as an example, of course, these documentaries, I don't think that I will quickly have uh, a contract with, uh, you know, a, like a, an American TV station or something like that, or Netflix. But that doesn't mean that, that my documentaries won't be able to reach a large audience. I actually hope that if I keep working consistently on quality documentaries, um, that uh, that YouTube channel could become very successful and also maybe become a showcase for, you know, uh, future uh, collaborations with some bigger distribution channels like like TV show, uh, TV channels or, or maybe uh, online streaming platforms. Who knows? Um, but the only way to make YouTube, well, to make it on YouTube, perhaps I should say it like that, is you have to master the SEO. You have to know how YouTube works so that you can actually reach that larger audience. And it all has to do with listening to your target audience. And that's that's perhaps the biggest takeaway that I have from, from studying all these uh, SEO mechanisms is that it all begins and ends with knowing what people need. Um, knowing what they're searching for and adapting your message so that it helps people. So it's not about me sending stuff. That's the television, the old-fashioned television and radio way to do it. Here's my show and you listen to it or not. This whole process starts with, well, how can I help? What are people looking for? And that's even true for documentaries. So the way I tell the stories of the documentaries, I want to make sure that it, it covers topics that people are looking for. So instead of just doing one travel documentary about, about New Zealand, I will make sure to tie that into uh, the, work, the world of Tolkien because the next couple of months or years, people are going to be all over YouTube to look for information about New Zealand and about these locations and about the story of Tolkien. So I'm going to integrate that into the story. Another example is my um, pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. There's a massive audience out there that is constantly... And you can actually... There are tools that allow you to see the search volume of certain keywords. And if you go and look for, what, for Camino in Santiago... Wow, if you optimize a documentary like that, you could have tens of thousands of views in one year. And so um, it's, a, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new ballgame. And another thing that I've learned is, and that is why 
uh, I've made so many changes to the way I organize my content, what I've learned is uh, I, I must focus on this to be successful. Working on YouTube with SEO requires a lot of time. Um, and so if I already look at how much time I've invested in recording the podcast and the videos that are you know, now linked to each other, um, it's double the amount of time that I would have spent in previous years. So it also means, and I, I, I'm fully behind that. I do believe that this is the way, this is the way, for those of you that have watched The Mandalorian, but this is the way. This is very important. If I want to help more people, I need to invest in the, 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 the techniques and the ways to reach that audience and so that they know that, that what I do is out there. Um, word of mouth is one thing, but uh, the algorithm can, can uh, and uh, I'm talking about the algorithm as, as if it's the matrix. It's still uh, a very fluid thing and that there is no secret formula to master it, but there are definitely a lot of things that I've learned about how to position your content so that at least you you uh, make a chance of, of, of appearing in the search results of, uh, uh, of people's YouTube searches. So um, uh, there, there's a lot more to say about this, but it becomes very technical. Um, but uh, let's suffice, suffice it to say that from now on, everything I produce is done with much more uh, deliberation and also preparation. You may have noticed that some of the topics in the main show are now more, much more structured and um, less free flow. Free flow is fine for a show like this or for a live stream or something like that. But for um, if you want to really help people, you have to stay on topic. You have to be, you know, precise and and really offer people value, not waste their time. And that is also, in, in a certain way, the same thing that I try to do every Sunday when I preach. I try to really invest in telling the story in such a way that my audience latches on and doesn't fall asleep. And I've noticed that uh, the secret to that is to speak the language of your audience in church, use images, and tell stories. And, of course, homily is not just storytelling. It's also a message that you want to convey, but it's much more effective to convey a message through storytelling than it is by just, you know, theorizing. And finally, uh, before we wrap up, that is also why uh, the walk is more focused now. Um, it is what I, what, I, what I want to try to do this year is to really share it's just as personal as it ever was but i want to every in every episode of the walk i want to focus on one thing and to go deeper than i would do if i was just oh yes an another thing that happened this week uh, and then i'm just saying what's on top of my mind um i've i think well, one of the first uh, um, uh shows or of this new year of the walk is about my father uh, and about his uh, mental state, but also the lessons that he taught me. And what I try to do, and it's still, I'm still trying to get used to it, it's not easy to, um, uh, well, to, to stay coherent because I'm so used to just 
<laughs> firing up the microphone and just starting starting to talk. Um, but it helped me also to go more in depth and to think about so, well, what did my father teach me. And uh, so that's how I'm trying to bring more focus to that show as well, even though I want to maintain that very personal uh, feel to the show. Like it must, I want it to feel as if you're with me on that walk. Um, but I want to um, prepare it better. And, uh, and maybe it's not just preparation because that's still a technical thing, but I want to give it more thought. And that's how I hope that those episodes will become even more valuable. Uh, another thing that I tried, and that's still an experiment, was that I, in, I recorded the audio, but I also recorded the video so that I, I walk around and you can actually see where I walk. But I want to give people the choice. Uh, just like with the videos, um, some of those videos is content that w will also be in the podcast. But the podcast will be more than that. Uh, because well, it's an audio show, so that requires a different, a, a different style than than a video. Um, and for the walks, the same thing. I want to. I I know that some people would like wouldn't would actually be interested in a video version and see the Netherlands, see the you know the the, the places where I am, or it can be anywhere in the world. Um, but I also want to be want people to be able to see it with just a, their inner eye in audio form. Um, and, and that is how I want to pick up uh, what I did for the Catholic Insider, where I would take people and tell stories about where I was, and it could be anywhere in the world, but it had a very much a kind of a, almost a travel, travel series type of vibe. And, and in the Catholic Insider, in those early audio uh, tours, um, it would be a mix of, of sightseeing or sound seeing and, and personal reflections. And it was that combination that worked so well. And with the walk, that's where I want to go. That's, that's what I think will enhance what I used to do for the walk and, and make it even better. So uh, that is in a nutshell what I wanted to share with you during uh, this first show of the, of the new year. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, especially about, of course, this this extra Patreon podcast. Do you do you like it this way? Do you want it to be shorter or longer? Uh, what about the jingles? I don't know. I'm just trying something out. Um, but I hope that you feel that this is this is kind of the freeform show where I can also share with you, uh, well, part of the process and, and ask some feedback. You know, does this work for you or how can I improve this? And this is also definitely the place where you will hear first about my upcoming projects or, uh, for instance, when I'm working on documentary. Well, that's not something I'm going to make a video about on YouTube, but it's something I want to share with you. But maybe this is the best place to do that because as patrons, you're co-producers of everything that I make. Again, thank you so much for um, all your support. Hope you enjoyed this and I'll be back next week with another episode of, uh, well, The Patreon Show. <laughs>